1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you money. My job's not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Are we in a situation, a situation where the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? On a not-so-hot day for the averages, Dow dipping 86 points, s and declining 0.53%, NASDAQ losing 0.94%. Sell, 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 sell. I think these numbers may obscure the real story. Because, man, when I listened to that Citigroup's terrific conference call this morning, the one that sent the stock soaring 4%, I sure got the sense that we have a lot less to fear than we think. In fact, city may be the perfect metaphor for this moment. We're so worried about the state of the global economy that we're missing some great opportunities. Get a load of what CEO Michael Corbett told us on his conference call. We clearly see a disconnect between what we see in our business and what the markets are saying. He goes on to explain that he sees no significant slowdown. In fact, according to Corbett, We see the biggest risk in the global economy is one of talking ourselves into the next recession, as opposed to the underlying fundamentals taking us there. Wow. Wow. That is some very bullish commentary. So what exactly does it mean for you and your portfolio? First, we've been through a very serious bear market. I know no one else is saying that except for me, but that's exactly what's happened. Even if it was a short-lived one. And in a bear market, investors are oblivious to any good news, while we fret about even the slightest piece of negativity, because it's hard to believe that stocks could plummet as hard as they did if everything in the real economy is okay. Citi's a classic example. This dominant international bank saw its stock plunge from $70 before JPAL declared war on the US economy down to $48. At its lows a couple of months later. Anytime a major bank takes that kind of shellacing, it means the stock market's signaling that there could be a real economic slowdown, along with a spike in bad loans. the
2: House of But when
1: we read through Citi's actual numbers, the only meaningful negative was in the volume of trading, reflecting a 21% decline in fees year-over-year. While that was enough to give the quarter the appearance of weakness, the truth is that trading has nothing to do with the real economy, which was robust for Citigroup without any spike in bad loans whatsoever. And that's the fear of fear itself speaking. On top of that, we're seeing a very different pattern developing here than the last few times the banks reported. We've gotten used to the bank stocks getting hammered after the results because they've repeatedly run up into the quarter, but not this time. This time, the bank stocks reflect the fact that people are taking themselves, talking themselves into a recession. People actually believe it. So we haven't had that kind of run up. Instead, we have a situation where Citi, a company that made four Point two billion dollars in the fourth quarter, with the stock that trades at a substantial discount to its tangible book value actually bought back seventy four million shares of its own stock. Buy, 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 buy. Oh, and Corbett intends to repurchase another eight percent of the company's share uh, this year. Hey, that's extraordinary. Gets better. Citigroup is actual momentum here thanks to an annuity stream called, and I quote, Treasury and Trade Solutions. It's a mouthful, but listen to this. On its own, I think this probably could be worth, say, 70 or $80 billion. Half of Citi's current valuation. Work with me here. This Trade Treasury and Trade Solutions is gigantic. It's a fast-growing business, and it's low risk. Think of it as a global cash management biz for multinationals. It does everything from payroll to foreign exchange conversion to supply chain to uh, financing trade loans. Remember, Citi has an on-the-ground presence in roughly 100 countries. Consider a financial technology business like a Square or a MasterCard or PayPal for International, which are all valued at sky-high price journeys multiples when you compare them to Citigroup, which sells for less than eight times this year's earnings estimates. Wow. No wonder Value Act and activist hedge fund has taken a big position here, and they're having constructive dialogue with Citi. The company's hidden assets are probably worth so much more on their own than within the bank. Yet no one's even talking about breaking up the company. You know what else I like? Citigroup is very big in Asia Pacific securities, number two in fixed income, number two in merchant acquisitions, ex Japan, and number three in equities. Why does this matter? Because of the elephant in the room, Goldman Sachs. Now my charitable trust owns both stocks because they're so darn cheap, and I don't believe we're headed into recession. But one of the main reasons why Goldman's stock is down so much is the reputational risk from this big Malaysian corruption scandal. If you really believe that Goldman will get hurt in Asia, then Citi's the big beneficiary in those three important business lines I just mentioned. But what about the rest of the stock market? What does Citi quarter have to do for anything else? All right, first, the financials themselves represent about 20% of the S&P 500. So if they can catch fire, that's good news for the overall tape. There are plenty of high-quality regional banks like T-Corp or Huntington Banks, your two Ohio ones, that have become accidental high-yielders here, meaning they actually give you a yield more than 4%. I think their stocks are buys. These regional banks are incredibly cheap, but because bank CEOs fear the government will come down on them if they try to merge, there's no real way to bring out instant value. Second, if you own a stock that's been crushed by the bear, and the underlying company delivers any good news, it will be rewarded. And that's something that really hasn't been the case over the past year. Now, today wasn't the best kind of day to analyze this phenomenon. We caught a couple of downgrades of tech stocks, particularly the semiconductors. They were strictly about stocks uh, that have rebounded too hard, too far, too fast. But you can interpret that as good news too, because unless you bought the semis on Thursday or Friday, you weren't sweating it. Oh, Apple got rocked again on the same old news. Isn't it getting a tad tiresome? Uh, not unlike Facebook with the stock that seems to be breaking out from purgatory after everyone saved the journalists who write for the penny savers thrown in your driveway has investigated Facebook and found them guilty. Who knows how much Apple will actually rally when it reports if it's like Citigroup? Oh, and then there's Amazon down again on the divorce of the century, which I think is starting to get ridiculous. Today, we also got a painful reminder of how risky stocks can be. Sure, we don't want to talk ourselves into a recession, but look at that violent 52% decline in PG&E, the one safe California utility with 12 million customers. PG&E got eviscerated based on bankruptcy fears related to the California fires, and that is a reminder that you need to be careful with every stock you own, even the market darlings, even the utilities. That said, the ETF effect has put the whole utility group on sale, allowing you to buy the likes of Con Ed and American Electric Power at a discount even though the problems of PG&E are incredibly company-specific. The bottom line, though, if Citigroup is right that the only real fear here is the fear that we'll talk ourselves into a recession, then this earnings season could turn out to be a whole lot more positive than most people seem to be expecting. Let's go to Charles in Maryland. Charles! Yes, good afternoon. How are you today? I am good, Charles. How about you? Okay, okay. Uh, the Eagles should have done better yesterday, but my quick question to you is, uh, in respect to Sprint, uh, why has it been languishing so long despite its supposed increased and enhanced interconnectivity? And what about the FCC in terms of governmental regulations and shutdown? And if the FCC were to allow Sprint and T-Mobile to merge, what do you think that might look like? Okay, I, I'm not sure that it's really, the government's really... Look, there are a lot of moving parts here. I'm sure some of the government is not up to speed because of the shutdown. I have to tell you, I think that I have to look at T-Mobile on the basis of what the reporting last week, and the numbers were spectacular. So I think you could win either way. I like the stock of T-Mobile. Let's go to Jack in New Jersey. Jack. What's up, Jim? Hey, Jim, I know you're uh, starting to like the semiconductors here, and I'm interested in one near its all-time highs that no one is really talking about yet. Uh, and that company is uh, Xilinx, XLNX. Uh, they're the world leader in programmable logic. They're heavily involved with the data center, AI innovation, autonomous driving, cloud, 5G, medical and aerospace defense. And they're uh, 91% institutionally owned. So what do you think? I think you're absolutely right. I think there were fears that China, they do a lot of business in China, would be negative. But I got to tell you, I think Xilinx, I th- you're absolutely right. I don't talk about it enough. It is really doing well. It's on fire, actually. How about Joe in New Jersey? Joe? Hello, Kramer. Yeah, uh, I watch your show every night, and I learned a lot. Oh, thank you so much. My stock is uh, Neo Incorporated, ticker NIO, and they manufacture electric cars in China and right. have been labeled the uh, Chinese Tesla. With uh, China's tougher regulations to go electric, is the stock a buy? You know Tesla's moving to China uh, Elon Musk is uh, doing that uh, I'm not going to recommend a Chinese stock I I continue to believe that uh, those who want to own the stock of, te- of Tesla absolutely if you like the stock and you like the car you got my blessing it doesn't have a great balance sheet though but I'm going to say no to Neo. now we have nothing to fear but fear itself that sometimes could be where the opportunity lies. Well, man, money tonight. It was a tough week for retailers last week, but PVH has managed to show some signs of life. Could it be worth trying on in 2019? I'm giving you my take. Then with Starboard's investment, Dollar Tree, uh, does the buck stop here? I'm giving you my take on what's ahead for the retail. and my response to the Americans out there who forced me to do some extra homework. I'll reveal my findings, including an under-the-radar biotech play that I think may be worth buying. So stay with Kramer.
0: Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash business gold card.
2: Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work.
0: Impending deadline?
2: Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. click, 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 click. Rider's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magic. Stress less and save time at Canva.com. Designed for work.
1: Canva. Last week, whoa, boy, was it rough for retail. We got a series of lousy numbers, although some, like Macy's, were a heck of a lot worse than others, like Elvira's. And a few of these disappointments weren't even that disappointing at all. Kohl's and Target... I thought we're good. Nevertheless, the whole group was sent reeling. Sell, 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 sell Then sell. Thursday night, Kramer Faye, PVH, the parent of Calvin Klein, and Tommy Hilfiger, changed the entire narrative. The apparel company raised its fourth quarter forecast, with CEO Manny Chirico pointing to, and I quote, outperformance across all of our businesses relative to our previous guidance, despite the increasingly volatile macroeconomic and geopolitical environment. Even better, PVH announced that it will be restructuring part of its Calvin Klein division, that Bailey needed a change in direction. In response, the stock caught fire. It surged nearly 7% the next day. And you know what? I think this is just the beginning. In the immortal words of Bachman, Turner, Overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's right. I think PVH has a lot more room to run. <laughs> All right, let me tell you why. First, you need to understand where uh, where the stock is coming from. PVH had a very rough time in the second half of 2018. Even though shares have rallied $18 from the Christmas Eve lows, almost everything's up since then, though. The darn thing is still down $65, or 38% from its highs last summer. $68 is many tree cover, i would say. What caused PVH to get crushed? In part, it's because this is an apparel company that's very much levered to the strength of the global economy. PVH gets roughly 52% of its sales from outside the United States. You get a worldwide slowdown. Their business is going to be hurt. It didn't help that the dollar surged higher versus other currencies. It's been a big problem for PVH. That meant PVH's foreign earnings translated into fewer greenbacks. On top of all that, their best growth opportunities are overseas, including China. And they source a ton of merchandise from the People's Republic. So the trade, well, let's just say, had investors spooked. When the company reported at the end of August, even though the actual results were better than expected, management raised guidance. The stock got clobbered went down 10% because Wall Street considered the forecast a tad light. Investors figured business was peaking. They assumed that this would be the last good quarter from PVH. That's that end of the cycle stuff that we keep hearing, which basically says it doesn't matter what they say. It's over. Now, when PVH reported again in November, the results were far from perfect. While the company beat Wall Street earnings estimates thanks to some cost cuts, their sales came in a bit light, certainly lighter than expected. And it was driven by softness at Calvin Klein, a major division. On top of that, they predicted Calvin Klein-related weakness in the next quarter. The overall numbers were pretty okay, but initially the stock got slammed down 7% in after-hours trading. PVH rebounded, though, because CEO Manny Trico promised to fix that part of the Calvin Klein business that was broken. He did it both on the conference call and when he stopped by the show. Still, when the market continued to roll over in December, PVH's stock, it just got obliterated. All right, now you got the context. You had a lot of concern about PVH based on broader macroeconomic issues. And while the company seemed to be hanging in there, the weakness of Calvin Klein was weighing on investors. Now, when Fed Chief Jay Powell indicated that he'd be patient about continuing to raise interest rates, that was a week and a half ago now, that changed the equation. I know. Shirts. How could it be? Bear with me. Suddenly, the macro worries weren't quite so worrisome. And that's what matters. It's all about fear itself. But last week, we got all those lousy retail sales numbers dedicated to the holiday season may not have been that great, or at least the last two months before the holiday season, between Black Friday and you know, November, December. Just when people started freaking out about PVH again, the company comes out last Thursday, though. It gives us some shocking, very good news. First management raises forecasts, upping their revenue guidance slightly and upping their earnings guidance substantially, from $1.59 at least to $1.75. Hey, turns out business was good. Second, in a separate press release, PVH laid out a series of challenges for the ailing parts of the Calvin Klein brand, just as, as Manny Trico promised on this show. Company shutting down its flagship store in Madison Avenue, New York City. That's a big deal. That's a nice store. They're folding their North American men's CK jeans and their sportswear businesses into a single team, while also merging their separate retail and digital divisions. Company's also relaunching their high-end Calvin Klein 205 West 39 NYC label under a new name, please, thank heavens, and new leadership. 2.5, uh, you know, uh, Murray Hill 7, what is that all about? All told, the restructuring will cost $120 million over the next 12 months. All right. But the idea here is that it will turn around. Calvin Klein business, that would be gigantic. I think the moves make a ton of sense, especially the fact that they're really doubling down on the omnichannel side of things and how much we love omnichannel and man money. Put it all together, there's really a lot to like here. Contrary to the worries on Wall Street, PVH is actually doing better than expected across all of its businesses, whether you go by brand or by geography. Even their Chinese business is pretty much unchanged. North is strong. And hey, if PVH can breathe new life into Calvin Klein. That will be a huge positive. These numbers showed that PVH's earnings are much, much, much more resilient than most people believe. Even after its recent rally, the stock trades at a ridiculously low nine times next year's earnings estimates. So many stocks are so cheaper. This is one of them. When you see a stock with a multiple that low, it does tell you most investors really don't believe the company would be able to deliver on its forecast, given the weak holiday season at most of the department stores. But if PVH can raise its earnings guidance right after Macy's implodes, that suggests the estimates are credible, meaning the stock is darn cheap at these levels. Perhaps best of all, the Calvin Klein restructuring also cements management's credibility here. And that's what we care about, right? When PVH reported in November, CEO Manny Trico made it clear that the Calvin Klein biz had a problem. He came on the show, admitted that he was disappointed uh, about Calvin Klein's operating margins. He told us they got in the wrong fashion. You know, they, they literally got the look wrong, so to speak, and they needed to make some adjustments. This guy's a straight shooter. He's been on the show forever. But he also reassured us that they get it right, and Calvin Klein would have a bright future. Now, just a month later, Chirico's once again proven that he can deliver. Oh, and by the way, this guy is putting money where his mouth is. Get this. When PVH's stock got obliterated in December, what did he do? Did he stand around? Did he talk? No, he did some insider buying. He picked up 10,000 shares at $95.51. That's nearly a million dollars of stock purchased in the open market. He didn't have to do that, right, except because he thinks it's going to go higher. As often the case, insider buying, to me, turned out to be a terrific tell, and it's not over. Bottom line, in the second half of last year, PVH saw its stock get crushed by a host of different worries. Last week, the company put most of those fears to bed, yet the stock is still down 38% from its highs in the summer. I got to tell you, PVH, I'm with Manny, who's a buyer. I say there's a lot more upside. Let's go to Mark in Florida. Mark! Uh,
0: Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Mark. I'm a a long-term investor and holder of Stitch Fix. Down from its
1: highs, should I have gotten out? And any thoughts on the addition would, of I, Williams know, to, me, to the board of
2: directors? Okay,
1: there was a severe overreaction. If Katrina Lake were to come on the show, and I urge her to come on the show, I think she can tell a better story. If she doesn't come on the show in the next three months, I am going to take it for gospel that that last quarter, which was not that good but not that bad, Is the beginning of a series of bad trades, sadly. So let's see. I know that there's some upside in retail just this evening. Dave and Buster's reported better than expected quarter. We know that Lulu reported better than expected quarter, so I'm not going to tell you to dump it right now. Now, after a tough week for retail, PVA changed the narrative. I think the stock's got plenty more upside. Then there's much more mad money. Dollar Tree is known for luring luring customers with discounts. But what could Starboard's investment to retailer mean for the stock? Then I'm eyeing an under-the-radar biotech play that's making cancerous cause. And with news that China's exports fell the most in two years in December, what does it mean for the trade debate? I'm giving you my take, and it's real controversial. So stay with Kramer.
2: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
1: I did not pay them when I was living in my car. They found me. (laughs) They found me. It was a little bit shocking that they caught up with me a year later in New York City. I said, boy, you guys are good. He said, well, that's what we do.
2: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... (laughs) 3 a.m. The office was shocked.
0: (laughs) That's when we sleep.
2: Maya made it less scary with Canva.
0: (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime.
2: Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future.
1: Hey, last week we learned that Starboard Value, the incredibly successful activist hedge fund, had taken a position in Dollar Tree. And this dollar store stock caught fire, voting more than 5% of the news. Normally we like situations where Starboard gets involved. We like the company. They are very good activists. Insurgents, if you want to call them, or engaged shareholders. But you know what? I found this one puzzling. I think it's a little odd. See, three and a half years ago, Dollar Tree, which had always been pretty well run, acquired Family Dollar. The worst of the dollar store chains, and it's been holding them back ever since. Finally, though, it looks like they're turning the family dollar business around, and I think the upside here could be enormous. But the guys at Starboard seem to have a different take. They want want the board to consider breaking up the company to unshackle the terrific Dollar Tree from the subpar family dollar. And uh, guess what? They're gearing up for a proxy contest. I find this whole thing kind of overwhelming. Snag seven out of 12 board seats to make it happen? Although it does strike me as more of an opening bid to negotiations, perhaps, than a genuine demand. Now, we just heard from Dollar Tree's management a month and a half ago. This is why I think it's so overwhelming. I think that, for one, starboard value may be a little off base. And again, I I respect their work. So what's going on here? And more importantly, what should you do with the stock? How about some context? First, you need to understand that this has been a tough slog for Dollar Tree shareholders. There's a reason Starboard stepped in here. Last year, the company reported three disappointing quarters in a row. Unacceptable. March, May, August. Each time the stock got slammed, each time the culprit was weakness at this family dollar division. Even as the Dollar Tree stores mostly performed better than expected. As is usual, one of my favorite places to go, by the way. From the peak in late January to its low in last October, this stock lost more than 32% of its value. That's extreme. And that's why Star wants to break up the company. They see Dollar Tree as being joined at the hip with a loser business that's holding them back. So they want to effectively roll back the acquisition of Family Dollar. I, I get it. Last quarter, Family Dollar saw its same-store sales shrink, not grow, but shrink by 0.4%. By go down by 0.4%. That's significant. Now, that is much worse than the 2.3% increase on the DLTR or Dollar Tree side of things. So the data favors Starboard, which did a terrific job of fixing the underperforming Darden, owner of Olive Garden, and there they replaced the board, put new people in, and wow, it really took off. However, the last time Dollar Tree reported, and this is what's quizzical, back in November, the whole story changed. Sure, the actual results were still not so hot. company reported yet another disappointing revenue number and even lowered its full-year forecast because of weakness at, yes, family Dollar. But this time, I think there was a silver lining. As CEO Gary Philbin explained when he came on the show later that day, family dollar is turning. The company's been renovating these underperforming stores, and the ones that get remodeled are doing much better. Listen to this.
2: From the very beginning, we've said we need to fix uh, the stores. And the confidence we have now, Jim, with the renovations, is where we said, let's put our foot to the pedal and go for the renovations up
1: to 1,000 next year well you've got 8000 so i mean it really could be a multi year rollout of renovation and better
2: numbers well we think so just not renovations i should say at least a minimum right. because i would say let's shoot for 1000 and do more if we can okay but i do see it being a multi year trajectory to really get to an inflection point i need as many stores done With renovations, that allows me to have confidence that the store's ahead of me. I have as many behind me. Right. So it's just a sheer equation of arithmetic at this point.
1: Oh, I like that. That stock. That stock's so bright. Ever since that last quarter and that interview, well, the stock's trajectory has turned around. Management understands the biggest problems, and they got a plan to fix it. A plan that's already begun to work. But last Monday, Starboard Value announced that they'd taken a 1.7% stake in Dollar Tree. And they've got a very different plan. Extremely different. They want the company to explore strategical turners for family dollar, including an outright sale. At the same time, they want to consider a multi-price point strategy at the Dollar Tree stores, which is very different from the current situation where everything costs, well, a dollar. It's how I got those five pairs of sunglasses that look just like Ray-Bans to keep fooling my wife. I think Starboard makes a compelling case on the price point issue. Dollar Tree is actually the last remaining dollar store where every piece of merchandise costs the same amount of money. And while that's a good distinguishing characteristic, there is a reason everybody else has transitioned to a different model. At the very least, management should give Starboard a pilot program to see how multi-tier pricing would work. Still, Starboard's ideas for what to do with Family Dollar are a different story. As they see it, Dollar Tree has utterly failed to integrate the Family Dollar brand. They've failed to pull off a turnaround. And at this point, the best thing that they could do... Well, it would be to give up and just sell this part of the business. The company bought Family Dollar for $8.5 billion in 2015. By Starboard's math, the market is currently valuing this business at somewhere between $1 billion to $3 billion. Ooh, value destruction. In their view, a standalone Dollar Tree would get a much higher valuation because uh, on its own, Dollar Tree is best to breed. And again, their stores are great. They have such fabulous merchandise. Look at this one. What do you think? The, what is this? Oh, it's a hat. I always love places to tell you what the merchandise is. Questionable what it was. It's a hat. Now, Starboard does believe family dollar can be turned around. But they think this is the kind of turn that would be easier for a private equity firm to pull off, which is why they want management to potentially put their weaker chain up for sale. Company would definitely get less than they paid for this business. Mark my words, much less. But Starboard argues that they get substantially more than the one to three billion that the current, the stock market is currently paying for family dollar. Basically, they want Dollar Tree to consider cutting their losses and moving on. But based on what the company just told us, About the remodeling initiative when it reported, I think they have a chance to prove to Starboard that they can deliver a turnaround. Management has finally figured out how to remodel their family dollar locations in a way that really bolsters their sales at last. Here's the key line from the conference call that caused the stock to soar after an otherwise tepid quote, and I'm quoting, You've heard us say our renovations are comping to mid to high single digits. That's true when you look at the entire footprint of renovated family dollars. However, if you look at the more recent renovations, we're seeing higher comps, which gives us the confidence we're executing well, end quote. Those are some great numbers. And when Gary Philbin came on the show, he talked about renovating a minimum of 1,000 Family Dollar locations this year out of roughly 8,000. In short, this could potentially be a huge multi-year growth driver. The remodels have gone from an albatross to an annuity stream, my view. Look, Starboard is absolutely right that Family Dollar has been a total mess, if not a complete disaster. However... Dollar Tree seems like they just found the formula that will turn things around. Right now, as they roll out this plan, though, an activist fund comes in and tells them to think about giving up on family dollar entirely. Now, the stock caught fire on the news. and I do think this could be a win-win. That's what this is really important here. Bye, bye, bye! Bye, bye, bye! Either Dollar Tree pulls off the turnaround or Starboard takes some heads. And, you know, I got to tell you, a- a- and unlocks value that way. A little more brutal. So while I disagree with some of their points, I have to like that they're giving you multiple ways to win. The bottom line, even though Dollar Tree has run up dramatically uh, from its uh, lows, the stock is still down nearly 20 bucks from its highs. I think it's a here an even bigger bargain than Brim's uh, or Whoppers. I bet you it's only filled up to here, you know. Um, As long as Starboard gives management some time to prove their plan can work, perhaps in exchange for a board seat or two, I bet there's more upside. And Dollar Tree, it's a buy. Why don't they have that little cellophane window, right? I mean, where do you think they'd probably come up to here? I mean, that's what, okay. Jim in California. Jim!
2: Hi, Jim. First of all, many thanks for your very insightful guidance And a good heart over the years.
1: Well, I sure do try. Thank you. That makes you feel good. We're back in New York and immediately greeted with positive, positive energy. I like that. What's up?
2: All right. Well, I was born in Jersey, but I moved to a better place, San Jose here. My question is on Shopify. I purchased in several increments back beginning early 2017. It's grown 147 percent in my portfolio to now be about 14% of my total equity
1: portfolio. I believe in long-term investing and plan to continue holding on. Do you agree? Okay, I, I, I'm of two minds. One is I typically don't like anyone's stock to be above 10%, but two, I think Shopify is terrific. It's a company that I've gotten behind, and there was a, a very negative series of articles written about it, and I, I found that they are groundless. This is a great business. It is about omnichannel experience, and that's exactly what you want. So a discipline says cut it back, but the stock itself is good. All right, I think the stock of Dollar Tree is a bargain here i just hope that starboard practices patience when it comes to improving family dollars business they deserve it at this point what's worth my money at good news if the dog ate your homework (laughs) i did it for you and i think it could make you some money then i'll explain why it's now or never when it comes to pushing change with china and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round so stay with kramer I get a call about a stock that I don't recognize or don't follow well enough to give you a considered response, I always circle back to do it and do more homework so that I can give everyone who calls in a good answer. But the last few months have been pretty darn crazy. We got a real backlog going here. Hey, why don't we start with Frank in Pennsylvania? He called in about a stock called Exelixis, in the symbol there is EXEL. This was all the way back on October 18th. Again, my apologies. This is a biotech company that's focused on treating cancer. They have three drugs on the market, a treatment for advanced renal cell carcinoma, a treatment for a type of metastatic thyroid cancer, and a treatment for advanced melanoma that they're marketing in collaboration with Genentech. Now, Frank really nailed the timing with this one. I wish I had told him to buy Exelixis when he asked me about it in mid-October. Stock had going be getting hammered for much of last year. Remember the big biotech raid? And it was based on a lack of positive catalysts and worries about new competition in the kidney cancer space. The stock got obliterated at the beginning of the year. However, less than two weeks after Frank called about it, Exelixis bottomed. The company reported some much better than expected results a few days later, and the stock has been off the races ever since, rallying nearly 70% from its lows. Wow. The darn thing is rocketing more than 15% just so far in 2019. It's, well, as the stock got a boost after Eli Lilly shelled out a fortune to buy Loxo Oncology. Although, when we spoke to Eli Lilly last week at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, I liked everything I heard. Now, uh, Loxo is another relatively small biotech focused on combating cancer, so there was good pin action here. Where do I come down on elect- Exalexis? At a time where it seems like big pharma has gotten the urge to merge again and everybody wants a piece of the oncology pie, I think Exelixis could actually be worth buying for takeover speculation. More importantly, it's got excellent fundamentals. This is a rare biotech company that actually has earnings. Not only that, it's actually extremely cheap, trading at less than 15 times next year's earnings estimates. Look, I hate to chase a stock after a big run, but I like this story here. Exelixis pulled back a bit, a bit today. It's down nearly 4%. And if it continues to climb, you do have my blessing to snap it up on weakness. Remember, it's speculative. Next up, also on October 18th, John in Virginia wanted to ask me about Maxar Technologies. Boy, did this one stump me. M-A-X-R for all you home gamers. It, it, this one, by the way, has had the exact opposite trajectory. It's plummeted down to Earth over the past few months. It's been awful. Maxar Technologies is an aerospace company. Specifically, they make satellites, all sorts of satellites, related to equipment and services. The current incarnation of this business was formed near the end of 2017, when the old MDA holdings merged with Digital Globe. Now, the stock's been a total disaster. Merger hasn't been going as well as people expected, but that's nothing compared to what's been happening lately. A week ago, Maxar lost control of one of their satellites, and so far they still haven't been able to get it back on a track to uh, provide useful imagery. Suboptimal. It's unclear if they, will, if they ever will. It's kind of difficult to repair objects that are floating out there in space. In response, the stock lost 32% of its value last Monday We're getting hit with another 25% decline on Tuesday. Nearly every analyst who covered the stock downgraded to sell. Does that sound too extreme? Hey, today we learned that Maxar's CEO is stepping down, be replaced by Daniel Jablonski, the former president of Digital Globe, the company they bought a little over a year ago. While the stock popped 7% today on the news, I wouldn't count on a sustained relief rally right here. Look, I hate to tell you to avoid a stock that is down 90% over the course of a year, but this one's just, it just seems too risky for you. Maxar, hard pass. stable We are from the Bay Area. When you're on the hunt for winning stocks, you should be focused on one word innovation.
0: If you zoom out into the future and you look back and you ask the question, what was Apple's greatest contribution to mankind? It will be about health. On an era
2: of this increasing data and the needs for data, Our presence is
1: just much more expansive today than it's ever been. People may be the theme of 2019. People taking control.
0: What we see is we have a a set of medicines that are really transformative. This is something that cures children, potentially, of a terminal disease, and that's pretty extraordinary. At the end of the day, um, the best recreational products are going to be informed by science and science, if done properly, should turn into protectable IP. We represent the future. We're all about the future. We're about creating and innovating and co-creating around customer engagement. And this is a long game. This fourth industrial revolution, we're just at the dawn of this era. Oh,
1: so much to learn out here. I love it. There's nothing more empowering than applying technology to society to drive impact. Totally disruptive and making people have better, more fulfilling lives. That's the goal. I love going out there. It really is innovation. And you got to see it personally or else you simply can't believe it. That's how impressive these companies are. I hope you enjoyed all those shows. Thank you for uh, both the uh, people here and, of course, also for the people in San Francisco to make everything happen. And now it is time. (laughs) It is time for the Light Round. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Over the lighting round, let's over with John, in Florida, John.
2: Yeah, hi Jim. It's John Kay in Dunedin, Florida. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing, buddy, Jim? A belated uh, Happy New Year and a healthy one to you and yours. Oh, excellent. Okay, Jim, uh, I'd like to know your opinion on uh, Dynavax DVAX. Very
1: controversial uh, in terms of uh, infectious disease. Uh, I'd love to have them on. I think the stock's too low to sell, but I don't have a catalyst. Let's go to Jeff in Louisiana. Jeff.
0: Hey, Jim, a big booyah from the Big Easy. I'm sorry about your eagles last night, but I'm calling about MT, the world's biggest steel producer. Buy, hold, or sell. The only steel company I'm I'm recommending is Nucor NUE.
1: I'm steadfast about that. I think if you want to own a steel company, you own Nucor. John Furriol, good job there. Tony in Nebraska, Tony. Hey, Tim Booyah. How you doing? I am good. How about you? Hey, not too bad. Hey, thanks for taking the call, and uh, thanks for all you do, uh, investors like me. We appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hey, my question is about immune therapeutics. Looks like their uh, peanut allergy therapy is going to go to market this year, and they've got a couple others in the pipeline, and they're looking pretty good financing-wise. Just wondering what your thoughts oh, might I be. agree with you. I think the stock's too low. It's part of the bear market uh, in biotech, and yet I believe that their uh, peanut allergy is going to be very, very big, and a lot more people are impacted by that than people realize. Let's go to Scott in Florida. Scott. Hi, Jan. Thanks for taking my call. I'm calling on a company out of uh, North Carolina. The, um, he spoke at the um, J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference this week. His name is Todd Pope of Transcentrics, and he shared some really interesting insights of what the company is offering. They had an FDA approval uh, go through to today, and I wanted your take on the stock. I don't know the stock, and I did not speak or listen. I did look. There's a lot of presenters. I wish I got got through everybody. I did not. I've got to do work, and I got to come back. Let's go to Ryan and Marilyn. Ryan. Hello. Hey, Ryan. Uh, yeah, I was wondering about. I was wondering about the Starbucks stock, and I'd like to shout out Mr. Mark, my business teacher. I think that Starbucks got hit by a downgrade last week by Goldman. And it was very chilly, And yet I think that Kevin Johnson pretty much acquitted himself. Well, I think there's probably two down and maybe five up. I, you, look, the stock was at 52, 53, so it's hard to just come out with guns blazing and say buy it here. But that's my take. Let's go to Kyle in North
0: Carolina. Kyle! Booyah, Jim. Uh, given Square's recent uh, depart- uh, PFO departures, Uh, Would you still recommend Square as a long-term hold? I'm a college student, so I'm looking for a value stock. Absolutely. I
1: love the students that are calling today. Square is not a value stock. Square is a growth stock. Uh, Yes, we will all miss Sarah Fryer. She went to Nextdoor, where she's doing a fantastic job, and she's just monster good. But I think Square's franchise is a terrific fintech franchise, and I think they'll do just fine. And I think the customers really like Square. Full disclosure, Bar San Miguel, we use it. We use Caviar. We like it. What can I say? Let's go to Gerardo in Connecticut. Gerardo. Hey, Kramer. How are you? I am good. How about you? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I'm asking about Alibaba tonight. I got in at uh, $174. it has been down. I just want to know if it's a good time to purchase more. Okay. I am not a uh, recommender of any Chinese stocks. That said, if you had to own one. It would be Alibaba, which is an amazing company. I worry about the trade talks and a breakdown will cause a breakdown in Alibaba's stock. Let's go again. Let's go to Randy in California. Randy.
2: Hey, Jim. How are you? Booyah. Booyah. Hey, quick
1: question. Seaway, Seawind,
2: Clearway Energy, been building a long position in it in my retail account.
1: Watch the drop, uh, especially today, but over the last, what uh, the hell Oh, it's been so. terrible. It's been terrible for this kind of flotsam and jetsum solar infrastructure play. That yields 9%. I mean, to me, when I see a yield like that, that is strictly a red flag, a challenge flag, and I'm going to have to challenge that one. I do not know if that company is doing as well. As, uh, as we think, as once thought. Let's put it that way. Let's go to Amy in Nevada. Amy!
2: Hi, Jim. uh This is Amy calling from Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. Thank you again for all your help and advice.
1: Oh, you're quite welcome. Um,
2: oh, thank you. Today, I'm calling because of this stock that I purchased in the beginning of October. Pet it
1: dropped almost 30% since. Yeah, that's because I, I mean know. look, we gotta take advantage of the fact that IDEX Labs, which was at 256, is now down to 189. I like that a lot more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: When I went out to San Francisco last week, I heard the same thing from a surprising number of people in the tech industry who do not like President Trump one bit. And what they said was, if we're going to take on China, now's the time to do it. They may not be fans of the president, but they're on board with the trade war. Given the timing, last time we learned that China's exports were down 4.4% in December, while imports were off 7.6%. The worst since 2016, and the trade surplus with the US hit a record in 2018. This harsher than expected view that I learned about may be more realistic than you think. Why are so many tech executives willing to say enough already when it comes to cracking down on China's unfair trading practices? I think it's because the Chinese economy has never been more vulnerable than it is right now, and our economy has rarely been this strong. If we're ever going to do anything about China, this is the perfect time. If we're ever going to stop them from forcing our companies into dubious joint ventures that represent ridiculous technology transfers and often outright theft, this is the moment. Look, no one wants a recession, but pretty much everyone out in Silicon Valley that I took to recognize that China has become, well, let's say, on varying degrees, an outlaw. I mean, obviously doing a ton of business there, no one's saying that, but you know what I mean. It's because the Chinese are playing by a different playbook than everybody else. So it's only fair that our government crack down and say, you know what? If you want access to American markets or any other market for that matter, you need to play by the same rules that everyone else plays by. The consensus out there is that the Chinese may be forced to cave. They export more than $500 billion worth of goods to the United States, only import about less than $200 billion. In other words, China's a lot more to lose than we do. But beyond that, a lot of these executives believe that the Chinese economy is much, much, much weaker than we think. Just look at what they're relying on to keep uh, things afloat. Do you know what I heard about? One-year junk bonds? at ridiculously unwise risky lending that the government favors just to keep the economy alive? The reality of the situation may be that China's teetering here, something uh, that keeps coming up in behind-the-scenes discussions with anyone who examines the People's Republic from a financial angle. At the same time, the United States holds more cards than many people seem to believe. If China loses our market, you better believe that they're going into recession, something the Communist Party likely isn't ready for. If we lose the Chinese market, I don't know, I mean, maybe you may not even notice Most importantly, though, China has been a bad actor for ages. And we're never going to get a better chance than the one we have right now. Our economy is terrific. The Chinese economy is so debt-laden that they absolutely need to keep growing their exports. That's the only way they can grow the Chinese middle class. At the moment, China's consumer economy is saturated, and there are far too many empty buildings of all sorts for the government to keep pouring money into these make-work programs. And I know that we talk a lot about how there are weaknesses in the economy, and there is. I'm really speaking. In this case, employment here is strong. The truth is, many Chinese companies are incredibly overlevered. Many of China's lending institutions are in very precarious positions. Or to put it another way, the trade war is not about soybeans, people. It's about balance sheets. And believe it or not, our balance sheet is much, 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 much better than theirs. I do believe that things have gotten too heated and a little mercurial. Uh, there's not enough constructive dialogue and sentiment to get something done before the president's tariffs will automatically rise from 10 to 25% in a few weeks. But again, a surprising number of executives are willing to accept the pain, precisely because they know there can be real gain when the Chinese finally open their markets. You see, it's when, not if, because China's economy is actually far weaker than people seem to realize. That's why these execs want to press the bet. And you know what? I agree with them. Stick with Kramer. When I went over the charts this weekend, you know, I ordered that S and P chart book, which is so incredible. I was shocked to see how many stocks have just been crushed, and it really is true. We have gone through a bear market. One of the reasons why City was able to rally is that when you see a stock like that making that much money, you just have to say to yourself, something is very wrong here. So many stocks I follow are selling at eight, nine. Ten times earnings. That means they're inexpensive. Do we need a catalyst? Maybe it's a trade deal. Maybe it's J.Pal no longer raising rates. All I can say is, if you think the market's expensive, I think you're wrong. Stocks are not expensive. As a matter of fact, they're inexpensive. Like to say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise, try to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you
0: tomorrow. At Capella University.